You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Thursday, January 28th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, it's all about the Banking Inquiry Report. It took 20 months to complete its work, cost about €6 million, Euro, and heard public testimony from 131 witnesses. But what new light did the inquiry shed on the banking crisis? Joining me in studio are Owen Murphy, Finnegale TD, and the man who helped pull together the final report at the 11th hour, Socialist TD Joe Higgins, who refused to endorse the report and indeed published his own, and Sarah Barden, political reporter with the Irish time. Sarah, we'll start with you. What were the main findings from the banking report as you see it? Well, the report was highly critical of a number of institutions, including the financial regulator, the central bank, the government, but I suppose it reserved the strongest criticism for the European Central Bank and found that they uh, explicitly threatened the Irish government that it would they would withdraw emergency liquidity assistance if the government moved to impose losses on senior bondholders. Um, And they also found that that wasn't the only threat that the ECB issued to Ireland. In November 2010, they also threatened the withdrawal of ELA if the country did not um, enter a bailout programme. I suppose, did did we learn anything new from it? That's the key question. Um, It's more of a confirmation of really what we already knew. And I suppose a lot of people reading the coverage of it this morning are delving into the report, we'll be wondering whether or not it's worth the 6.5 million euro that was spent on it. Uh, I suppose one thing we did learn was that the NTMA in March 2011 advised the government that uh, haircuts of uh, about 9.1 billion euro could have been imposed on senior bondholders across the six banks uh, and they, they could have been implemented immediately and that was based on the fact that markets had already priced in those cuts into the price of the bonds at that time. But we never went, to, we never went ahead with those uh, haircuts. Well, the the position is, or as the report outlines it, is that the, there was cabinet approval uh, for Michael Noonan to request that Ireland impose losses on senior bondholders, and that that figure of nine point one billion was is what the country could have saved if they were allowed to do that. But they lay the blame firmly at the door of the ECB for that decision, and not for for the country not being in position to burn senior bondholders. Okay, Owen Murphy, the devil and all was to blame. Well, we kind of knew that from previous reports, didn't we? Honahan, Nyberg, Watson, Regling. Why did we need an this banking inquiry to tell us this? Well, we didn't know everything from the previous reports, and those reports were done in private. And those reports only went up to 2010, and our report goes to 2013. So it includes the recapitalization of the banks. 
It includes the negotiations leading into the bailout and the bailout strategy. I think the important thing in asking, you know, what's new, all of it was new. We'd never heard from the key actors, the key principals from this important moment in time in public in an Oireachtas uh, committee. And that work had to be done. I mean, the Oireachtas could not, you know, have not inquired into our financial collapse and our fiscal collapse. And so that's very important. And just touching on that point about burden sharing that you you raised, one of the interesting things that you can pull from the report when you read it is that, yes, the NTMA wrote a document that was talking about burden sharing across six institutions. Yet the Department of Finance was preparing a strategy, a pillar bank strategy that would involve burden sharing for only two institutions. So immediately you see... Being Anglo and Irish nationwide. Exactly. And the saving then would have only been 2.4 billion. And we don't come down on a final figure in the report. It's important to note that we, we, we give the different figures different people gave to us. But we also note that, you know depending on when you did it, what institutions you include, the methodology to be uh, used, the percentage of the haircut, you get different figures. But that itself, I think, is an interesting point in, in terms of maybe the coherency of approach. If the Department of Finance was planning one thing and the NTMA was planning another. Now, we don't draw conclusions on that because we can't with conflicting evidence. But that's part of the work that the inquiry did. Is it brought the different actors in from this key point in time to give their own uh, opinions. We have findings and recommendations, but I think it's important that people get to to read the report in tandem with the documentation. On the issue of burden sharing, um, one of the findings of the committee is that the withdrawal of emergency liquidity assistance was used as an explicit threat by the European Central Bank to prevent the government from imposing losses on senior bondholders in March 2011. And yet in the Dáil in March 2011, uh, I I think in exchange with Stephen Donnelly, um, Michael Noonan, the Minister for Finance, said that no threat, threatening language had been used. Uh, and Michael McGrath, who is a, a fellow committee member on RTE this morning, uh, called for the minister to correct the Dáil record. Uh, where do you stand on that? Well, I didn't hear the comments this morning, but I, I know that when Kevin Cardiff, for example, was inside um, in the inquiry, and he gave us a lot of uh, evidence himself, he, he did talk about the, the, the risks that we were in and, and not things that you couldn't talk about in things like Oireachtas committees, like the crisis group that was set up to prepare, prepare for the potential exit from the euro. Very serious things were happening at the time. And if the government were to admit to them, it might, might have weakened our position. And of course, you know, the governor come in in March 2011, had attempted for burden sharing, an explicit threat, this is the economic bomb threat that was made, was made. We couldn't proceed with that strategy, but we had to proceed with others then after that in terms of interest rate reductions and everything else. We're partners, we had to negotiate. So you have to be careful in terms of what information you do put into the public domain at any point in time. But again, this was the point of the inquiry, was to allow people like Michael Luna to come in now, years after the well, event, Well, do you think the Minister for evidence. Finance misled the doll at that time? Well, I haven't seen what he said at the doll at that time, so I can't comment on that. Were you not there? I, I, I mean, about Mar- 2011. No, no, sure, sure, sure. But it, it, was, it, was March, it was March 2011, and I, I think it's been aired several times. He said that while there weren't paddings on the head, there was no threatening language used. Uh, and Stephen Donnelly last night and, and Michael McGrath today uh, both said that he should go in and correct the record of the doll. That essentially he misled the doll. Well, I'll go what Michael Lunan said in front of the Oireachtas inquiry, which is that the word bomb was used. And in that context, I think it can be seen as a threat made to Ireland, whether or not Michael Lunan at the time saw it as threatening language or that it was put so expressly uh, or that he felt it was put so expressly to him as a threat is a matter for Michael Noonan. But we have what's in the inquiry report was said to us in the committee room. Okay. Joe Higgins, do you think that Michael Noonan should correct the record of the doll? Well, actually, it's far more profound and serious than that. And the real misleading of the doll happened on the day that the phone calls came from Jean-Claude Trichet. Now, here we had a supposedly sovereign government a few weeks after being elected and having asked the Irish people to put his trust in it. That government had decided that it was going to burn bondholders. The Minister for Finance and the Taoiseach were on their way to the National Parliament to announce the burning of bondholders, 
when they got a series of phone calls from the European Central Bank and Mr. Trichet. And Mr. Trichet told the supposedly sovereign government, you go into your national parliament and you announce the decision that you have made and a bomb will go off under you. And two or three ministers, or the government, the, the Taoiseach and uh, Minister for Finance and the Labour add-ons, um, decide there and then that they'll change the script. So the minister comes in ten minutes later at all. I was sitting in the chamber waiting for him. And then he proceeds to make a speech, leaving out the provision to burn bondholders and doesn't say a word by the way, on my way down to this chamber, I was threatened by the president of the European Central Bank that if we burn bondholders, we would be bombed economically. It's a grotesque perversion of any concept of democracy that is supposed to uh, exist in the type of parliamentary democracy that we have at, at the present time, even one that is dominated by politicians that are champions of the markets, of the whole system, the way it works, but to not to come into the national parliament and not to immediately say that we were threatened in this way is a serious perversion. So that's where the, 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 the first correction of uh, the record, and the minister should apologize and apologize profusely, as should the Taoiseach, for uh, capitulating uh, on a phone call from the European Central Bank and then coming in uh, to the national parliament and treating the elected members uh, in that way, but more importantly, treating the Irish people in that way in imposing billions of extra burdens on them simply because Jean-Claude Trichet wants to protect the major financial players, the big uh, financiers and the big banks in the European financial markets. He wants to protect them from the, from the, the results of their gambling in the Irish uh, property market and we have a government falls flat on its face in front of them. And by the way, this, this this report and the media commentary on it so far, I have to say, is just quite incredible. It is dealing with superficialities. The seriousness of that threat, of course, yes, the, the politicians here have gone big on the ECB because it's a handy scapegoat. The politicians here, and, and this report has gone big on the financial regu regulator and their failings, and there were very, very serious failings, but it diverts from the role of the politicians themselves. And the point that we try to make, myself, in, in the uh, minority conclusions that I uh, uh, drew, which I have to say, Kiran, to uh, very serious analysis of the situation and to describe it by, as you did, as a regurgitation of rhetoric of the last seven years is quite contemptible. The situation is, and I ask Owen to, to, to deal with this because he is a, a defender of the whole market system, the fact is that in that two bubble governments, and we put chapter and verse together on this, the Taoiseach, the finance ministers, uh, set out categorically to deregulate or to push the deregulation of the financial sector. They brought in these banks. They encouraged them to engage in the type of cutthroat competition race to the bottom that they did. And then we see the consequences of that. That's where the real source of the crisis lies. But, of course, that is ignored. Talking about the amount of lending, the amount of this, the amount of that, that's fine. Why were they allowed to do it? Because politicians allow them to do it. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the PDs, 
and they set the tenor that the financial regulator and the central bank just fell into line. But John, that's hold on, the, that's the story. Why, why, why didn't you sign the report? Why were you not prepared to sign the report? Precisely for the reasons that I've indicated. The real source of this crisis is completely ignored in this report. And by the way, you know, it's, it's a common consent that the relationship between the developers and the bankers and the massive lending in commercial property and residential property is what really created the bubble and sank it. And there is one recommendation in this report, a detailed, in relation to the whole property sector, a detailed and comprehensive commercial property price register should be introduced, for God's sake. But Joe, you're, is that all we can say? You are, you After are, a country Joe, was hijacked sorry. by a, a cabal of developers and bankers and we want a property register to have some kind of an idea of so what the price of building should you be. You are throwing away 20 months of work by 11 members of an Oireachtas inquiry. 500,000 pages of documentary evidence that we collected that were never collected before. Hundreds of hours of public testimony with key actors. And the report is the final part of that. Because of the legislation, it was never going to do everything that you would like it to do. And you knew that when you signed up. In fact, before you even signed up to the committee, you said with me in an interview on air that you'd be producing a minority report, which just displays bias before you even went into the process. So why even engage in the inquiry if you were going to throw it all away at the 11th hour after we'd all worked? And you, yourself included, Joe, you sat in those sessions with me. We worked incredibly hard. We discovered new evidence. We tried to bring it together in a narrative here. But we say explicitly we bring it together with volume two and volume three which is all of the public hearings yeah. and all the documentary well, evidence. I fault nobody on work. There's absolutely one thing I can agree with, and particularly yourself indeed, and us all. The amount of work that went in was quite incredible. And I have pointed out, and I'll say it again for the record, there were some aspects that were very valuable, particularly the public hearings. Do you think your minority they, report is any good? They, they, because do you think your minority report is any good? Because you wrote your minority report from your involvement in the committee. So you believe that you were able to produce no, a no, worthwhile I, report I, from I, the public I'm, sessions? I, I'm not... Th th there should have been uh, You couldn't have written this without sitting yeah, on the no, inquiry. No, no, there should have been an inquiry. It should have happened years earlier, of course. Um, m m much of the, uh, the, the stuff, the public hearings in particular, were very valuable. Let me be very clear on that. What I am castigating, if you like, because of a fundamental d disagreement is with... And it's not surprising. The ideological leaning of the majority members of the parliament, and you are a majority in the parliament, puts you with one particular view of events and you don't get to the heart of it. Why should? And I ask you now, why what, should? What was, what was outside no, of the no, terms hold, of reference? What wasn't in the terms of reference that wouldn't let you ask no, the questions no, you wanted no, no, to ask you, or draw but, the conclusions you wanted to draw? Why, why, why should? No, you, you, you're not... You, you, you can make findings. No, you can't. was not to have an ideological debate findings. about the market system. You can make findings. It was about investigating why we didn't have a proper regulator or central bank. No, no. Why politicians allowed certain things to happen. Oh, why as you know taken. well, even, to, even with the restrictive terms of reference, you can make findings in regard to policies and how policies were implemented and if policies could have been implemented in a different way. Okay, And so, we have findings and recommendations so, so, so in that you, regard. You, you could do that. The, MTMA, the question finance, I'm putting to you bank. is, how can you say that we live in a democracy when a small group of bankers, bondholders uh, and, uh, and developers can wield such inordinate power that they virtually take control of the economy of a society in the pursuit of super profits and sink an economy and destroy the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. How can that be allowed 
to obtain Joe, in a system that is supposedly democratic. Joe, can I ask you? Can but I you're ask you? Silent on that. When, when did you decide that you weren't going to be able to sign this report? Uh, when the I submitted uh, ideas that I thought should have been in the report along the lines of what uh, we, I've been just talking about now, and indeed others and recommendations, for example, in relation to uh, to that building land uh, prices should be controlled, the speculation should be outlawed, etc. I proposed those. There weren't a single one of them reflected in the initial draft that everybody found unacceptable. And at that stage, I knew there's no way I can sign this. Uh, and you were, I mean, the, the report then went to, to Owen and a few others to, to try and save, okay. if, if you like. Uh, but you weren't prepared to give them an opportunity to... Perhaps I mean maybe they would have included some of your points. No, it was very it was very clear. It it was very clear f- that all the ideas that we submitted in regard to our analysis of the situation, and it's not surprising, they wouldn't be acceptable to the majority view on the committee. No, but it wasn't that. It was because they didn't flow from the evidence we had heard, Joe. We had to come draw findings and recommendations that were uncontradicted, that didn't imply blame and that came from the actual things that we asked and heard in the public sessions. That's what we had to do. That was the difficulty with trying to do it. Because Owen, we had testimony in front, and you you know, read the documents as diligently as uh, 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 myself. We had testimony as to the enormous extent of money that was handed out by the banks to developers, a handful of them, as we've—it's—it's it's in the report and it's in the the evidence that a handful of people had such power that they could distort the whole of the economic, um, the the economic process. Now, a report that doesn't say anything about that. And, and, and but it does. It's in the report. You just said it's in the report. No, no. But our difficulty uh, is in, in relation to the fundamental the source that, that that this type of power should be handed to a, a group of people in in the markets, and that that is not pointed out. And of course, there, there is a whole. I am up against here an okay. entire. Okay, I think I think we have the point on that. We're up against uh, time here, so I, I think we have Joe's point on that. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Uh, Owen, Joe, Joe did say that um, the ECB effectively has been uh, made the scapegoat in all of this because it's an easy target of sorts. Uh, is that a fair, a fair point? No, I don't think it's been made the scapegoat, but I think it's important to note that the ECB did not cooperate with the inquiry and we found no reason as to why it couldn't cooperate. And that, you know, it is a serious democratic deficit in, in what's happening now as... as you know, we look at the wider European project and the Euro system and the Euro group in terms of them being directly accountable to a parliamentary inquiry where it was quite clear they had a, a huge influence on very important decisions, which then led to an improper burden being placed on the Irish taxpayer. I mean, that, that is a, something that has to be addressed. But we also look at the Department of Finance, the Central Bank, 
financial regulator, we look at the politicians, we look at the developers. I mean, it's a, it's a long report. It's a big report. Certain things are coming out um, through the media or through individuals on the committee, and they may be getting more attention than they should. And just, I mean, you're a member of Fine Gael, and yeah. uh, the, the narrative, I suppose, before the inquiry uh, began its work was that the government was hoping to lay the blame on Fianna Fáil uh, in the run-up to the election, but that didn't actually happen. Well, that was nonsense, I think. And not one of us, not one of the Fine Gael members, and I don't think any member of the inquiry went in with a, a, a jersey on, a political jersey. We had to get the work done. And if we had tried to, you know, present it in a certain way or ask questions in a certain way, we would have been laughed out of the place. And that's one of the things I think that stands to, you know, this committee is that we went in and we did our work diligently. And, you know, the media would come out of a session and the media would be like, oh, you didn't lay a hand on that witness. And well, that's not what we were there to do. We were there to ask questions and get answers on the public record. This was never going to be um, a one-sided or a biased report. It never could be. Sarah, do you buy that? That's, uh, the government didn't actually want to pin it on Fianna Fáil or really wanted a, you know, a fair process uh, no, quite frankly, I think uh, ideally Fine Gael and Labour would have hoped that the <coughs> final findings of this Bank and Inquiry report would have laid the blame firmly at the door of Fianna Fáil. And it doesn't necessarily do that, but for good reason, I suppose, in one way, because the evidence before the inquiry didn't back that up. It found that there was shared responsibility amongst everybody, really. I mean, it, it was interesting last night, Barry Cowan and the Dáil on a debate on homelessness brought up the issue of um, the Taoiseach making some allegations about an axis of collusion between Fianna Fáil and bankers and developers. Um, and indeed quotes that Eamon Gilmore accusing the former Taoiseach, Brian Cowan, of economic treason. And again, the Taoiseach accusing uh, the Fianna Fáil government of destroying minutes from within the Department of the Taoiseach about the night of the guarantee. And that's all proved to be inaccurate. Um, and you were talking, ref you were referencing earlier about claims that Minister Noonan had made in the Dáil. Well, also, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of issues to be cleared up by the Taoiseach um, about some of the allegations that he made about Fianna Fáil that are not backed up in this report. OK, now, Joe wasn't the only person who, uh, on the committee who didn't sign the report. Pierce Doherty also, Sinn Féin, didn't mm. sign the report. And, and um, you spoke to him yesterday for his reasons and that. Why, why did he not sign it? For him, he says it's, fundament it's fundamentally flawed. There's no analysis, and I'd have to say I'd agree with him. He says this in particular with regards to the report or the sections dealing with the guarantee and the Troika programme, that it's just really a series of quotes um, with evidence from the various witnesses contradicting each other. And there's no real analysis or insight. He says um, it's incoherent and it's fundamentally flawed and it's a disservice to the Irish people. Um, you know, Pierce, in fairness, I... Joe, I think going into the into the committee, always we always knew that Joe wouldn't sign off on the final contents of the report. Pierce was uh, sort of. You couldn't be sure. You yeah. couldn't be sure, okay. and only only announced it at the very last minute. Oh, and I think there were twenty nine recommendations uh, in the report. Uh, so, what happens from here? Um, is there any chance that any of these will actually be implemented? Because we've seen from previous reports and inquiries and tribunals and so on that a lot of the recommendations are left hanging in the air. Yeah, I mean, so that, that will depend on the next government and what they choose to do with it. I mean, that's one of the things you worry about is reports sitting on shelves. That's out on the PAC and you do a report and it would get, you know, nicely filed away. So important things that we want to see, like the enforcement section of the central bank coming in before an Oireachtas committee, that needs to happen. Uh, review of the NTMA, the, the, the powers that a minister has to direct the NTMA to place deposit with banks, that needs to happen. A review of NAM, which is another recommendation when it's finished its work, that needs to happen. But it'll be up to the next parliament and the next members, uh, whoever's elected, to put the pressure on and keep the pressure on the government to see these things through. Joe, could this happen again, this crisis? Absolutely, um, in a different way. 
as long as you have within the financial markets, which is uh, an economic dictatorship in my view because of the enormous economic power they have, as long as you have that inbuilt uh, system, then they will find other ways of uh, following the drive for super profits. On the eve of a general election, uh, uh, one lesson at least should be this, that the provision of homes for our people, whether that's uh, people who are very poor, unemployed, and should get social homes, whether that's middle-income workers who cannot simply afford to buy a home for themselves, surely the lesson should be from the disaster that we, we, we've come through that developers and bankers between them should not be in charge of the provision of homes for our people, that it should be a basic human need, that it should be a, human, a, a public service, and that there should be massive public investment put into that, and that banking itself should, because it has, it's a very, very important function of society, should be a public service under democratic ownership, supervision, rather than, again, the subject of the frenzied goings-on in the property uh, uh, markets. And I hope everybody, I mentioned it yesterday at the press conference, I hope everybody will go out and see that new movie, The Big Short, uh, uh, um, re recently not just uh, for Brad Pitt. released. Um, <laughs> well, particularly because it exposes what these godlike markets are. And I, I, one of the things of the uh, after the crash that I will never forget as all the cuts and savage cuts were being made, first by Fianna Fáil, then by this government. And virtually every commentator and every newspaper anchor person and so forth asking questions, the question with every savage cut in our people, is this enough for the markets? Will this satisfy the markets? Will the markets be satisfied? Go out and look at the big short and see who the okay. markets are. You're so critical of the last government and you're so critical of this government. But in the same breath, you're saying you want us to now run all of housing, all of development, all of banking. It doesn't add up. Not, right, not unfortunately, you. unfortunately not we you don't have time to, to, go into that big, uh, to go into people. that big issue. But, I, Owen, I can't let you go uh, without asking you about the general election. Uh, first of all, confident about retaining your own seat? I don't know. We're only starting to get back at canvassing again. Um, obviously, we were, you know, dedicated to the inquiry, so we're in there a lot. But there's a lot of ground to cover, and uh, I hope to see Fine Gael back in government, and I hope to be there. With Fine Gael and the Fine, Fine Gael and Labour, or do you think absolutely no? The support I mean, of others. What, what we would like to do is to run a Fine Gael Labour government again, if we can. But I mean, the election hasn't even been called yet, so I think people are getting a bit ahead of themselves. And where do you stand on this issue of, of possibly seeking the support of Michael Larry uh, for a Fine Gael? Yeah, I'm not even going there. I mean, the election hasn't been called. It's going to be called next week or so. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't even know if I'm going to be involved in any of those discussions after the election. What we do know is that Enda Kenny said last night to the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party is that. He doesn't intend and doesn't want to do a deal with independence. He wants Fine Gael and Labour to be returned. And anything more than that is, could be seen as presumption or arrogance. If Fine Gael and Labour don't have the numbers, would you be happy for Fine Gael to seek support of Michael Lair? What we want is people to government. vote for Fine Gael and Labour so we have the numbers. And it's completely in their hands as to what government they get. Right, so you won't answer the question as to whether... I think I have answered the question. Uh, Sarah? <laughs> How do, you see, how do you see this election panning out? Do you think Fine Gael and Labour will have the numbers? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think Fine Gael and Labour will probably be returned in some shape or form, but they won't have the numbers to, uh, to complete the government. They will rely on a number of independents. And Joe, very quickly, you're not standing in the next election. How do you see yeah, it? Yeah, well, I'm uh, Director of Elections for the Anti-Austerity Alliance and for my colleague Ruth Coppinger TD in Dublin West. Uh, we will be putting up the, uh, a radical alternative to the 
parties that Owen represents and other parties. How many, how many seats do you think you might get? Um, one party, yeah. We have in uh, an electoral alliance with the People for Profit over 30 candidates and we will be seeking to absolutely maximise the number of principal okay. left TDs returns. Right. We'll leave it there. That's it uh, for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Owen Murphy, Joe Higgins and Sarah Barden. Declan Conlon produced the show with Gary White as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.